0: Second Thessalonians is the place where we've been, and we're going to finish up this uh, letter. That's what this is, the letter to Paul, a letter from Paul to a church in a city called Thessalonica. That's why it bears that name. What I want you to understand is in this letter, Paul is writing to a church that's a small but thriving church, except they're experiencing some persecution. And so Paul loves this church. In fact, it was one of his most successful churches that when he went there and preached, they just bought into the message. And they just said, we're followers of Jesus. Teach us, Paul. And he was able to be with them somewhere about three months maybe. And then he had to leave because the persecution was ramping up. But they had to stay and live and exist inside that persecution. And so understand, this is a church that is up against the culture. It's up against all the social pressures in a society where sexuality was running rampant, and you could define your practice of sexuality however you wanted. In fact, many of the religions even involved certain sex practices. A, a religion that was very—I mean—a a society that was very class structured, and you had the haves and the have-nots. And you had the people that had the power, and their goal was to keep the power, and you did whatever you could. And really, things that you and I would probably look at and say, well, that is pretty underhanded, was not considered underhanded. It was just simply the norm of the day. It was the way you survived, not only survived, it's the way you got ahead in the world. Institution of marriage was crumbling around them. In fact, it it just doesn't even resemble what we would call marriage today. They were under a system where they didn't get to pick their leader. They had no say in that. In fact, their ultimate leader, at least as far as the government was concerned, was a man that claimed to be a god. And now that created a problem for them because these Christians, these new Christians, these new followers of this way that followed Jesus, they were just trying to survive and yet they could not make a claim that said Caesar is Lord because they knew that Jesus is Lord. And Paul writes to this church and he writes these two letters he writes the first letter because he finds out that they're not only just surviving, that they're thriving as a church, but he knows the pressure is intense. And so he writes First Thessalonians, and we studied that one first. And then as the pressure continues to grow, it, it doesn't let up. His, his letter did not magically cure, didn't suddenly make it all better. The pressure became more intense because the church became more and more faithful to his message. And so he writes 2 Thessalonians. And if you're wondering what the goal, if if you're the purpose of this is, his whole purpose in sending this was to encourage them, to to give them a means of encouragement and a strategy to hang on. And I would suggest that that church, that little church that gathered together, perhaps no more than 30 or 40 people, under the shadow of the Roman Empire, in a culture that had a completely different value system, that what Paul writes to encourage that church is the same thing that he would write to encourage us today. I don't think our situation is so incredibly different. You've heard me say before, I believe that as we follow Jesus in the 21st century, it is more like the cultural dynamics of the first century in which these documents were written in your New Testament than any century in between. And so that gives us not that we hear new things, but that we have fresh ears with which to hear what God is telling, what God's encouraging us through His Word. So I'm going to go to a very brief passage, it's only five verses this morning. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to read it through and then I'm going to walk back and we're going to pull out some lessons for it and that'll be the offering. This, this is going to be a very simple sermon today. Because the encouragement is simple, but don't mistake simple for a lack of significance. What Paul tells us, here, if you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, if we'll embrace these simple instructions, these admonitions that Paul has for us today, it will make a world of difference in your world and around the world, and it will have an impact on eternity. That's what Paul's getting at. Remember, all of this is so that he can encourage this church to keep on thriving together when it looks like All the pressures around should snuff out this light that they have. So I'm going to read through the five first, and then we're going to walk back, and I've got a couple of passages that I want you to pick out. So if you're following along, we'll be in chapter um, chapter 3, verse 1, and it's just the five. And Paul writes these words to encourage this church finding challenges. Verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us, That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I want to go right back. I think the key to this whole short passage right here is found in the very first verse. And so I really hope you've got an app open or you've got your scripture journals or your Bibles open. But I want you to go to that very first verse, verse 1, and here's what it says, and here's where I think Paul is directing all of our attention. And this is that that guides this whole section here's what it says finally brothers and now he's making a request he says pray for us so here's paul the one that came and planted the church he is their spiritual leader this is his spiritual children in many ways he's the father of this church so to speak and he is very excited about what God is doing in life. And now he's reaching out to this church and he says, I want you to pray for us. And the us is Paul and his other companions that are going around doing exactly what they did in Thessalonica. They would go, they would preach, and they would attempt. They didn't always, but they would attempt to establish another church. And so he's saying to them, pray for us. Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So he's saying, hey, you remember when? Remember those early days when I showed up and I preached that message? They weren't that long ago. This took off, the gospel took off in you, this message that we came, this Jesus that was crucified on a cross, is now the living, breathing king of the world. You bought in wholeheartedly into that message. I want you now to pray that that message would race around the world. Paul loves these running analogies. And so Paul is saying, "I I want it to kick in to an extra gear here. And I'm asking you to pray that the gospel, this message, this word, that's what what this part is, that this word of the Lord would be swift and would be moving together. I read this and I I thought about things that move quickly. And since I don't, I didn't think about running. But I did think about the times that I was out at my grandmother's. Grandmother had had a ranch out in a farm out in uh, kind of north Texas up around the Possum Kingdom area. And oftentimes in the summer, it would become very dry. That, that area would just, just lack from rain. And so I don't think of the fields and the pastures as being green. I think of them as being yellow-brown. Okay? And it'd be 110 degrees, you know. And inevitably, my uncle was a part of the volunteer fire department that serviced the area, and so there would be some kind of grass fire that would catch. And if you've ever seen it, because I would get to every now and then I'd get to I'd be with him when the call came in and if volunteer fire departments, they just drop whatever they're doing right at that moment and they all go to the pasture or the field where the fire is. And there was a few that I got to go on and if the wind kicked up, it just blazed across that dry stubble, wouldn't it? And if you've seen that, it, in theory, in my mind, it, it never was as impressive until the day I saw it. Because anytime time I'd seen a fire, it was always, you know, this high and no big threat, but when the wind catches it, it would blaze and fan and start moving through pastures. Then, you know, livestock and and crops and houses and homes and barns would become would become endangered. And so that's why you had to come because it was consuming. That's more akin to the image that Paul is saying. I want you, I'm putting that prayer request in. I want you to pray for us that this consuming message has wind behind it. And throughout all scripture, the same word for wind is the same word for spirit. That the Spirit of God is moving this word forward and this message forward. And Paul's saying, You pray for that, that you would do this. And Paul is asking, encouraging us to do the same thing. So, the thing that I want you to understand, or the takeaway from this first part, is I want you to understand that prayer advances the gospel. Prayer advances the gospel. It brings a spirit, the spirit, this wind in behind it. Prayer advances the gospel. We can come up with the slickest presentation. We can come up with the greatest means by which we're going to evangelize the world, which we're going to spread the word, and it is going to mean nothing without prayer. Time and time and time again in your New Testament and through Paul, you hear that prayer is what powers the gospel forward. It advances it forward. And it is so critical that Paul, the leader of this church, the one that would be seen as the spiritual father of this church, is asking for the church not for a strategy, not for a contribution this time. He does that in other places, but not here. He's asking for their prayers... That this word that they've got has a wind behind it, has a speed behind it, has the power of a runner running this race, running forward, and then it will just spread. Prayer advances the gospel. Will you pray to advance the gospel? See, we just put in elders. We added two to three men that were are current, serving currently, and I know that we prayed during that whole process. I know you prayed. I, many of you were telling me about how you were praying for it, but I can see from the results of the process, it clearly had prayer at the heart of it. Here's the challenge. We don't stop praying for our leaders now because they're in place. Now I would suggest the real work begins, and if you want to see Western Hills grow, if you want to see Western Hills be a healthy, vibrant, thriving church and the gospel be advanced in you, pray for our leaders. And you keep praying for our leaders. Prayer advances the gospel. But let me make it a little bit more personal. This morning, we just had a, the baby blessing. And for you parents out there, and, and I know you pray for your children. I'm going to challenge you to do what Paul is requesting when he's saying pray for us as the leaders, that if you want to see the gospel take root in the life of your child, then you pray for Rachel, and you pray for all the, the second-hour Bible class teachers and crew ministry leaders that we have. You pray for the ones that are working with your child by name. You're praying for them, and you'll see the gospel advance in your child's life. If you've got a student... This is so critical. I know as a parent of students, we're praying for our kids all the time. I'm going to challenge you to be praying for Justin and his team of disciple group leaders. And if you know them by name, pray for them by name, you're praying for them, and you will see the gospel advance in the life of your student. There is something about what God is inviting us into, and Paul's challenging them, because I'm going to be honest, my prayer life if just left up to my devices, my prayer list is going to have a lot of me and my on it. Here's what I want from me. Here's what I want from my life. Here's what I want. I got, you know, and there's going to be all that. Notice what Paul is calling them to do. It's a completely different version of prayer. It says you begin to pray for the other. You pray for other places. It wasn't... That long ago when we were in our series on 1 Corinthians, because of some of the teaching in 1 Corinthians that Paul gave to us, we began a practice for a season of praying for other churches here in town. We were praying for the gospel to be advanced, not just here among our seats, but across this area and praying for the blessing of other churches. That's powerful. Praying for others that the gospel is going to advance. Then that begins to change what you're praying about. Many, many, many Sundays, I will get a text in the morning, sometime around between six and seven in the morning, and it'll be from another guy that does what I do. It may be Jordan Hubbard up in Waco. Maybe a guy named Scott Elliot in Lagrange. Maybe a guy named Doug Page up in Kaufman, Maybe Rick Ashley up in Fort Worth. But I'll get a text that says, I'm praying for you and what's going on at Western Hills today. And I thought, there it is. Prayer advances the gospel. And we pray for others, not just the me and my on my list, but we're praying for others. We're positioning ourselves in a unique place for God to show up and work in powerful ways. So that brings me to the second thing that I want to highlight. So let's go from the first verse to the last verse of that section, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts. And Paul's ties these together. Paul starts with a request for prayer, and then Paul ends with a prayer for them. Okay, And he, I believe these are tied together in cause and effect. Paul's saying, pray this way and there's an effect to it. May the Lord direct your hearts to two things. I want you to underline these or circle these. Love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, when he says the love of God, it, it can mean lots of different things. It, it could mean that you fall in love with God. But I don't think that's what he's doing here because I think he's got a particular plan. I'll show you how it plays out in a second. But I think this love of God, he's saying, I want you to direct your hearts to how much love God has for you. He wants you to understand how much love God has for you. And then he gives us this word, the steadfastness of Christ. This word... Um, is a powerful word. I was trying to think it through because we don't use steadfastness too much in casual conversation. Now, you might, but I'm not that bright, okay? So I was was looking at perseverance and endurance is what this word's getting at. So it's saying, the love of God and the perseverance, the steadfastness, the endurance of Christ... It's saying that you would have the same kind of endurance as Jesus did. I want you to know, Paul's prayer for them is, I want you to know the love of God, how much God loves you. And if that's news to you today, you need to not leave here without understanding or at least hearing me say that God loves you more than you could immeasurably imagine. He has that kind of love for you. And Paul is praying for them to understand that as you struggle through this life, as you face this persecution, as you have these challenges in front of you because the culture is all set up against you, same for us, may you have this endurance of Jesus. So the takeaway that I want you to have is that prayer grounds you in God's love and Christ's perseverance. Paul's connecting the first verse with verse 5. Together, he's saying, if you begin to pray for others this way, you will find yourself will become more grounded in God's love. You yourself will be more grounded in Christ's perseverance. When you start to pray for others... That God would do a work in their life. Think how that begins to realign your priority system and what you pay attention to. Because I'm telling you, when it's all about me, it's easy for me to get on the gripe wagon. Because I can complain with the best of them. And I can throw a fit. And I'm well practiced at it, okay? But when you begin to pray for the gospel and God's work and His activity to show up in the life of somebody else, you know what that does to you? God's Spirit begins to work on you and He starts retuning, dialing in what you're paying attention to and you start to see God's work in your own life in a whole new way. And you start catching opportunities Or activities of God, maybe even small ways at first, that you would have completely missed before. And when you start experiencing God's love that way, it changes how you see other people too. When you're praying, it it is very difficult for you to have a grudge against somebody and continuously pray that God would be at work in their life and blessing them. And that they would come to fall in love with Jesus. It's really hard to maintain a grudge and bitterness at that point. I'm not saying somebody hasn't wounded you. I'm just saying if you want to fight against that, you begin to pray for them and see what God can do with you when you're praying for them. And the steadfastness. And in this world, who doesn't need... Some type of endurance. This is another running analogy for Paul. I want you to run the race complete. And Paul points us right to Christ because Christ ran the race for your victory and my victory. And it's this message that we're carrying forward. Paul's picking up on the same kind of theme that we find in Hebrews chapter 12. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's this long list of Bible superheroes. Here's all these heroes from the Old Testament and their great accomplishments and what God did through them and how faithful they were, even in the presence of persecution and struggle. And then as he gets into the next paragraph, what we have now labeled chapter 12, he says this, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. was that, that idea of endurance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And look at this verse. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that they will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews tells us, considering the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What's that mean? What's the joy set before him? You are. You're the joy set before him. The redemption of the relationship that is unbroken now, made righteous by what he did on the cross, that opportunity, that possibility to bring back into relationship with a God that loved you so much he would rather die than live without you, that's the joy that Jesus endured this gospel message that's all-consuming across the way. Be praying for others who are carrying this message. Be praying for others to come to know what Jesus is, that He is alive and He's at work. And begin to see then what God does in your own world. And the strength that you'll give. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I don't know what you're facing. But there is a perseverance and endurance. That's already been achieved by Jesus. That we're invited in to experience. What I want to do is I want to pray for you. I'm going to go praying for you. And I'm going to give you a few moments. In the prayer of silence. To pray for one of the groups, one of the people that we've identified in the service. And I invite you in that and let that practice begin right here and right now. If you would, let's bow, please. Father, I want to pray that your word would advance. So, Father, right now, as we participate in this prayer here either the name of the person that we want your word to advance in their life or the name of the the minister, the leader the Bible class teacher the servant of yours that's actively engaged in that as we pray for them, Father Father, I pray for this church and I pray that the advancing word would go rapidly like a brush fire. May it be all-consuming in the same way. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to understand what it means to be fully loved by you and to experience the endurance, the strength, and the perseverance of Jesus. That what he did for our lives would be translated onto us, not by our own power because we grit our teeth, but because the Spirit is at work in our life. Father, I pray that. Pray that for every person that's hearing this message right now. That we would take these words of Paul, penned so many years ago, and make them alive and active in our life today, on this Mother's Day. Ask all this in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.